A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to a classic big interview. This is where we dig into the vaults and choose an episode from the early days of the show. This time, we've gone all the way back to season 2017-18 and opted for one of our absolute favourites. This is what I had to say about it back then. Do enjoy. Jamie Murray is not only a two-time Wimbledon champion, but the first Murray to win Wimbledon. Hello, Jamie. Andy, sorry, he started it. He's an Australian Open winner and one of the best doubles players in the world. But what about his other sporting achievements? Well, you've come to the right place. In this big interview, Jamie reveals that he once held the world championship belt in wrestling, beating in the final his brother Andy in a ladder match had there only been cameras there. Jamie is also an exceptional footballer. Here, Murray Sr. talks about honing his skills at a park in Dunblane and falling in love with the brand of football played by Sir Alex Ferguson's Manchester United. Hibbs' Scottish Cup final victory in 2016 pops up and our guest also picks his perfect five-a-side team from tennis's ATP Tour. It's not bad. Enjoy this. I don't think... Um Jamie Murray, I've ever spoken to a Wimbledon champion or a US Open champion before. <laughs> In fact, I don't spend a lot of time talking to the tennis world, so given that you're a, a world leader and a Scot, it's a very proud moment for me. And if I take you back to childhood in Dunblane, I set you a challenge. Say, for example, you had to fashion out some kind of belt that signified that you might be world champion, perhaps even in wrestling. Let's say a WWF. Yeah. <laughs> You've been doing your homework. The WWF in the States, I've just come back to the States. I phoned them and said, listen, uh, Steve Austin, man, I've got Jamie Murray on his couch. Right? And Steve said, listen, I'll tell you what I ask him, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. We used to, uh, we used to be right into the wrestling, me and, uh, me and Andy and, uh, and some of our friends. Yeah, we'd be watching it like every Friday night. Yeah, and we, we went once to, down in, uh, in Newcastle and... Yeah, and make up the belts, and we're just with like cardboard and uh, like tin foil and stuff. So wait, wait, wait! This is a thought lesson. You're talking to a Blue Peter fanatic here, yeah. okay? So we're talking about actually constructing. It wasn't winning awards on Blue Peter, I tell you that. But <laughs> but it looked like a belt. It looked yeah. like a world championship WWF belt, right? Yeah. 
Done with detail, done with attention and care. Yeah, definitely, yeah, because, you know, you want to be proud when you, you know, you raise it up high. You know, announcing to your, to your brother that you're the, you know, the new world heavyweight champion. Yes, <laughs> yes man, I've this in a ladder match. Than yeah. you are. I'm impressed, I think this is kudos, man. This should go on the CV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're ever going to go for a straight job, they won't just ask you about the tennis, they'll ask you about arts and crafts. They just will. When you kindly said that you'd be happy to come on the big interview, the H word was mentioned. You know, you said, if, if I could keep you off the subject of the mighty high beat, I'd right, be yeah. doing well. <laughs> but, like, um, an ex-Scotland captain, an ex-great leader of Manchester United, Darren Fletcher, tells me, you're a bit of a United man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I got into United probably when I was, like, 10, 11. I mean, they were the best team, mm. so it was probably easy to, you know, as a kid to, to gravitate towards them. But, you know, as I got older, obviously, like, Sir Alex Ferguson being a huge... Um, you know, Scottish icon. Um, like the football that they played as well was just was so exciting to to watch, wasn't it? And that like that was entertainment. Like you knew when you went to Old Trafford or you're watching Man United on TV, you you were going to be entertained. And with Darren, I mean, in my sort of lifetime, or certainly since I've been aware of football, I mean, Scotland's not really had. A like real world class player, uh, which is a shame, but he's like achieved everything, hasn't he? I mean, he played for played at Man United a long time, won pretty much everything there is to to win in the game. And he, for me, he's like that's who you would look up to if you were a, a kid wanting to be uh, be a footballer from Scotland. He's the guy you would you would look to because he was by far the most successful uh, Scottish player we had, and you know playing in one of like the best teams of all time. Even at that age, when you begin to discover Manchester United, you saw the fact that Alex Ferguson, the leader, their um, their general, the fact that he was Scottish, that at least engaged your interest, maybe began, be, became a source of inspiration. It was important to you he was a Scot. Yeah, it's just like he's he's one of us, isn't he? And he's been, you know, taking on the world and doing amazing things at, at Manchester United, and you know, just like his drive and his passion and determination to you know be successful and bring the whole club in the direction that he wants it to go and making these guys you know you know go to battle for him every day and you know fight to the death to to win like it's an amazing talent to have that I mean how many people can say that they've that they've really really got that um and you know they just like they won everything, didn't they? It was just, it was, you know, it was an incredible time for for English football. And, you know, a lot of people, I bet, like, hate him, don't they? But that's because he's so successful and I bet every single person that didn't like him would have wanted them to manage their club. <laughs> for sure. And I think that he represents an old Scotland where he was driven and it was, it was relentless there was something about his upbringing, but to take more than that and look at what you said, to be able to motivate a group, and you've spent your life having to either maybe not motivate yourself, but drive yourself, be at it all the time, yeah, be yeah. the best all the time, which I'm guessing, although you've done it successfully, it isn't an easy art to be at it all the time personally. So if you, you can transfer that looking back at him now and thinking that he had to do that for a first-team squad of 20 or 25 another 15 or 16 staff yeah, yeah. 
Then the youngsters, the board above him, and given your achievements in sport, you'd be able to begin to think about the size of his achievement. Yeah, I mean, from, from my point of view, it's a lot easier just to look after one person. <laughs> yeah, just look after myself and, um, you know, each day prepare as, as best I can for, for my matches. And, you know, if we don't win, we're not getting paid, are we? So, so for us, there's always that, that motivation to be out there practicing, trying to get better, um, develop your game and, yeah, get out there to, and, and win matches, basically, because if you're not, then you're not making money, your rankings drop in and you're not able to play in the tournaments that um, currently I'm able to play in. What was um, football for you growing up? Because you, you, you were good at and you enjoyed multi-sports. That's what we were talking about before the tape started, that it was by no means tennis all the way. Football, you played a bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I played, like, you know, with friends, played a lot, actually, with with my dad's kind of group of friends, playing five-a-side football, that sort of stuff. Um, at what age were you? Probably from, like, 15, maybe. Started to play quite a lot with them. I mean, I always enjoyed it. I mean, who doesn't enjoy playing five-a-side football? Like, it's, it's brilliant, isn't it? Um, I mean, I was never, like, in danger of, you know, signing for Hibs and, you know, scoring 20 goals a season for them <laughs> and getting them into the Champions League group stage or anything like that. But, you know, I just, dream I'm I loved it. Right now. This is a recurring <laughs> Probably, dream, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. You didn't just pluck yeah. that out of nowhere, either. <laughs> what did you do? What was, what, like... What was your touch? Left foot, right foot? And what I, was, like I, was right, I was right-footed. Right-footed. Yeah. Um, but not afraid to take it onto the left foot if that's what uh, the situation demanded of me. Right. Where were the courts? Dumblane? Yeah, we put a bit at, uh, at Dumblane. I mean, like, we would go... Like, me and, and, and Andy and, and our friends, we would always walk over to, to our part, the local park just next to where my gran lives, and we would just play, like, headers and volleys there. They had, like, two big trees. Yeah. And we would just, yeah, we would just go to town. Like, we'd get back from school, just go over and, and play and, yeah, enjoy well, it. But then, like, now you can't play ball games there because the, the resident stuff complain about noise. But it's just sad, you know. It's sad. It's a Everyone's, crime. like, 80 it's years old there as well. They probably can't even hear it, but they just, they see the kids and they just think, nah, don't, don't want that. There's yeah. a campaign which, in Aberdeen, all the no ball games are being torn down and reduced by yes ball games everywhere. Oh, that's cool, yeah. But when you were doing that, and when you were playing that, was the purpose to um, win, or did you... You said it was crosses and volleys and headers. Did you do it again and again until you could do something spectacularly? And yeah, I mean, it wasn't... Yeah, for us, it wasn't about and... who's winning. It's like, yeah, who's scoring the best volley, yeah. in it, Or yeah. overhead kick, or, you know, crossing it in and, you know, bullet header or whatever. I, I never liked going in goals, because I, I was, like, hopeless at diving. So I was like always kind of determined not to to end up there. I hate putting the gloves on, like big sweaty gloves, your hands and yeah, Whereas I wasn't yeah. wasn't into that at all. Yeah, didn't like getting my clothes dirty or my knees covered in mud. Like wasn't wasn't for me. And I remember like you, you know you get the, you get a new football and you know we'd be walking over to the park like no chance that's being bounced on the ground or anything. That's like I wanted to be as new for as long as possible. Yeah. But we, yeah, we used to, we just used to love it. Like we had a great setup because we walk two minutes to the the sports club, tennis courts, and the golf club, and just across the road was a park. So we could do like we could do whatever we ever we wanted really. And in like the the summer, it's brilliant in Scotland because the it's light till half ten at night, and it you can you can play and play and play. So we had we we used to well, we loved growing up there. Yeah, it's brilliant. So you, you like. 
there's genes running through you because your dad was a decent footballer and your grandfather was a good uh, footballer, right? I don't know about my dad being a decent footballer, but my grandpa, he, he was... Uh, yeah. What now? <laughs> he's all right. <laughs> what? what? He still plays five-a-side now and he's like 60-odd years old. That's still not gets, bad. Yeah, yeah he, does, he does all right, yeah. Did you play like him or, or did you take after your grandfather or what? More movement than my dad, I think. Oh, this is this is. I mean, I I, I I've vicious. never seen my grandpa play, uh, so I, I don't know what uh, what maybe his uh, best attributes were, but obviously been talked about. It, so. The legend goes that he, he was keener on tennis and didn't like heading the ball, the granddad. But like you turned out, he was a professional footballer. Yeah, yeah, That's he played for um, played for Sterling Albion. He was at Hibs for a bit. Yeah, he was obviously a, he was obviously a decent player, like centre half. And, yeah. And was it was it down to him? I mean, we've got to mention Hibs, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the big leagues now. <laughs> now listen, I, I, I'm old enough to remember when they were any good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> why Hibs? Take well, us back to. Well, my, because, because my my grandpa played for for them, so like all of my mum's side of the family, they they supported Hibs. And we we used to get taken along all all the time when we were when we were kids. Um, yeah, we'd go to Easter Road or well, in Scotland doesn't matter. I mean, we lived so centrally, so to drive to most of the grounds was, you know, within an hour you could get to pretty much everywhere except um, except Pataudry probably. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you'd follow them on the road sometimes. Yeah, we'd go to like go to St Johnston, go to Dundee. Airdrie, been to Airdrie. At Falkirk's like twenty minutes. Maybe not to the old firm clubs when you were young. No, we or? went. We went. Yeah, we went to we went to Rangers game once uh, at Ibrox, and and I started crying when uh, when the the players ran out because of the noise. I wasn't used to the noise, yeah, yeah. and just like just got me. Yeah, I was only like nineteen at the time. <laughs> 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 I was probably like seven or or eight or something, and just like yeah, just. Uh, yeah, it wasn't wasn't ready for that, and uh, I mean, Hibs probably got humped as well. But so when the, the players really mattered to you when you start falling, who, who are the guys when you go there going like, we're at Falkirk, we're at St. Johnson, don't want to lose the guy who'll get us through today is. Uh, I mean, Frank Soze was probably the best player I Whoa. saw at playing for Hibs. Russell Latipi, he was he was great when he was there. He um, knew what the ball was for, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, these guys were were proper proper players, um, and we had. I mean, before that, I mean, guys like Michael O'Neill. He was great at Hibs because uh, we used to sit in like the family stand, so we were like really close to the to the pitch, and he was obviously a winger, so we used to, he would always be like right next to us, um, and he was he was really skillful. Uh, Mickey Weir, like Darren Jackson as well. Like, good footballer, yeah, actually, really good footballer. Good player, but I mean, played for Scotland. We need to look at some cup finals. Um, Twenty twelve will just just draw a complete veil over. There were six goals in the match shared evenly between two Edinburgh, <laughs> yeah, Edinburgh sides. John Collins won the the league cup. I, I don't know where I, I was there when I they won in nineteen ninety. No. Yeah, yeah, I was there. The, yeah. Keith Wright on the in the terraces. Yeah, we beat uh, Dunfermline. Dunfermline, right? yeah. yeah. John Budgie Burridge in goals. Yeah, yeah. We had to. We had to. I got taken away before the just before the game finished because there was like so many I mean we were really I mean I was only four or five years old then um, and of course it was going to I guess start kicking off and everyone celebrating it was all uh, standing then so we uh, we left before it 
before the final whistle went just to avoid all that. Are, they, are the memories of the day, do you think, imagine memories, or do you think there's... Because when you talk about standing, yeah. the size you must have had, what, what were you Yeah, I mean, for? I kind of... Yeah, we're... Because yeah, those terraces moved. You moved. Yeah, I mean, we... 20, 30 feet sometimes. Yeah, I remember it. I kind of remember sort of being, like, perched on the... Like, on the, the barrier. Railing. Yeah, yeah, the railing, yeah. I mean, I don't remember anything about the game at all. I just remember kind of being in the stands. It kind of takes us up to uh, the year before last. Where were you when the hundred and whatever year? Who do? <laughs> yeah, well, I was I was on court practicing at the French Open, and um, was just kind of like was following it on my on my phone. You know, when we were taking like water breaks, and I knew it was two two. And then one of the Scottish journalists he came like trudging over. And I was like, Stu, Stu, what's the score? He goes, uh, he goes, you don't know? I said, no, I don't know. He goes, it's 3-2 to the Hibs. He's like, they, they scored in the last minute. He's a Rangers fan. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, no way, because, you know, it's like, it's Hibs. We always guff it, you know, when we get to Hamden or whatever. There's so many bad experiences over the years that, you know, to finally do it. Like, I mean, I would love to have been there, and, and a lot of my family were, but as I always say, like, I'd rather have, Missed the game and Hibs won, and be there and potentially lose. So that was. Was uh, it vital? It was a tournament to, that you had to be at. Yeah, like, it was Grand no, Slam. Yeah, there's so no little devil in your mind no, saying, no. I, "I'm just going to go." No, and and look, to be honest, probably deep down didn't think we were going to uh, do it. Either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, no, 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 no. I know the feeling. And so, when do you get to see the goal? And then, I mean, listen, I'm a romantic total romantic Jamie and I was only teasing before about Hibs I see the attraction over the years and over the years I've enjoyed watching them an awful lot but at the end when everybody's singing Sunshine on Leith for me that's one of the most iconic moments in Scottish football yeah maybe in Scottish sport in, in my lifetime yeah it's literally a story I kind of feel it's a great song though isn't it it's so like so well known to or so associated with with Hibs, yeah. My my grandpa, my mum said he was he was crying when they when they were singing it. Like he was just he was just loving it. But um, it was emotional. Uh, yeah, I bet it. I bet I, it was. But, yeah. No, even, I mean, I've watched it like on social media and stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, it always like yeah, it gets the gets the hairs on your back of the neck going. That's true. Well, only in Scotland, it's Hibs against Rangers. They don't particularly like each other. Yeah. Rangers are favoured. It's a late winner, a last, almost a last-minute winner. Fans, whoever fans it was, come on the pitch. Yeah. There's a bit of a ramming. Yeah. It's very Scottish. <laughs> they all get herded back. And, That's how we sing song now. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, only in Scotland. Yeah. And then it's like poetry. It's like some sort of social... I don't know what it was. And beauty of the moment, the perfect song. And it's not really a football song either. And the players are there just... It wasn't even the players with the cup who took centre stage. It was the fans behind the yeah, goals. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, I mean, like, I obviously wasn't there. I would have loved to have been there, having <laughs> looked back and seen the result. But I'm sure for like, load. Of, I mean, every single Hibs fan. I mean, there's been a lot of pain in in Hamden and cup finals, cup semi finals and stuff. Like to finally get over the finish line, like to beat Rangers as well. It's always nice.
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The thing that really interests me is that um, when you spend your life watching or talking about Scottish sport, we seem to have, in general, this gene about quite liking failure, or at least liking <laughs> to glorify in nearlies. Yeah, yeah. Brit- well, but Britain, Britain in general, I think, is, is like that. I don't think it's just a, just a Scottish thing. You immediately recognise what I'm talking about. Yeah, I think so, yeah. I mean, people, well, they love that story, don't they? Like, the... You know, tried really hard, came so close, but ultimately, you know, it was all it was all in vain. And you know, the papers all write about it. And we're not really good at sort of celebrating winners in our culture. I don't think. Can I ask you then? Are we good at setting out to be winners, even before we try to celebrate winners? It is I think what I'm building up to ask, and I'm not looking for university theory, but you, your brother, your mum. Amongst others, and you mentioned Darren too, clearly bucked the trend, bucked the trend for a lot of reasons, not simply because of the success, but because of attitude, because of perfectionism, because of ambition, because of mentality. But I wonder, and I genuinely mean it's tossed up to be kicked away if you disbelieve it, is it about us having some inbuilt, inbuilt gene that we actually really like the romance of, oh, we nearly did it, we were brilliant, and then somebody got in the way, the referee, the wind... Somebody fell over, somebody missed a penalty kick. Or is it that we actually don't set out in the first place to prepare well enough with the right mentality, the right belief? There probably is a bit of like small time mentality, I think. But for us growing up, like, I don't know, maybe we, we just felt it. Um, but like we, or certainly I did, I shouldn't say we, but, but I did. Like, but then maybe that was just the way that it was sold to us by, maybe, maybe by my mum, that everything is against you. So, you know, we didn't have like a... I mean, up in Scotland, trying to be a tennis player is, is, is almost impossible to do it. 
and you know the setup is against us mm-hmm. to to survive and and go on and do um, you know become professional professional tennis players um, and you know we probably grew up with that and you know we're always fighting to you know to get ahead and you know maybe you know we don't want to you know these people they don't want us to to be successful they don't want us to win and you know maybe like we develop like a sort of you know a steel and um, a, a determination to to succeed and kind of show those people that you know what like yeah we're we're better than you we're from doesn't matter we're from Scotland whatever we'll we'll show you and it was probably from a young age, you know, like we had to always travel down to England to compete mm-hmm. because we didn't have uh, opportunities up in Scotland. There weren't tournaments, there weren't enough players. Um, so, you know, every weekend we'd be driving down to England, we'd finish school, get in the car, drive down to England four or five hours, compete on the weekend, drive back home, go to school, train, and then Friday do it again. That's what we had to do. So it was a lot harder for us than it was for the, for the English kids, that's, that's for sure. Um, and I think almost in a way like the strong w- will survive mm. in that situation because those who don't have the kind of desire to keep doing that because it's a huge commitment not just from, from us as, as kids but from your parents as well yeah. like in the coaches to you know you've given up so much time to do it and, and both our parents they were doing full-time jobs and then obviously on the weekends driving down to England to watch us play tennis so you need that commitment and you know I think we were we were sold on the idea that it is difficult you know we're not getting any help it's not going to be easy for you but you know let's let's just do it let's just show everyone that you know we are better than them we can we can be players and you know I think that did help develop you know certain character traits that we probably needed to be successful in in professional sport I think there was a stage where I saw you saying and I just always trust that the, the quote is true. I think I did have a great talent to do good things in tennis, but it took me a long time to understand how best to use it, to understand what it took to be a performer, to turn up each day, and to do what needed to be done to perform well on that particular day. I think when you're talking about like, something like that in any sport, particularly when you get to your elite level, I, just, I don't think that's a really easy thing to learn. No, I mean, I'm, I'm 31 now. I've been playing tennis since I was four years old, and... Probably only in the last sort of two, three years, probably really started to understand what it takes to be a performer and, um, you know, to do what you need to do regardless of the situation and just, you know, stay in the moment, just play point by point, not worrying about the finish line or what's happened, the points before or you know, maybe I've just lost match points or I've missed an easy smash to, you know, I'm now break point down or whatever. Just, it's been just park it and just, okay, now stepping up to the baseline, play my serve, going to come to the end, going to play my volley. And then after that, like what happens, happens. Um, and it's a really, really, really difficult skill to to master, to learn. Um, it certainly took me long enough. I mean, obviously, you know, still going to have days where, you know, get a bit panicky or, you know, minds racing and, you know, start getting stressed out about this or that, the other thing. Um, but I think, like, one of the main reasons that I've been able to be successful the last 
sort of two three years is is because I've been able to do that, been able to put in a good solid performance day in day out. Of course, some days you'll play great, some days you'll play play bad, um, but for the most part of the year you'll kind of play good, and it's finding a way on those days to win as opposed to lose. It's going to make or break your career. When you win at the US, when you win at Australia, when you win Wimbledon, what what what's it, what's it like? What does it do to you? I don't know. I mean, I like when we won in in Australia it was our first Grand Slam. Like, I mean, I was like, I was really happy. I was kind of, I was probably relieved a bit as well because I'd lost in the final of the previous two Grand Slams, and that match was like almost in the back of my head. It was like, like you can't lose again. You know, that's gonna be three in a row. Will you ever win one? Like you've obviously got doubts, but that that was probably more relief. Um, I think like I was super happy when we won the U.S. Open um, because we'd played some like amazing tennis in the semi-finals and then in the final. And I don't know, it just it, I don't know, it just felt like it was a bigger achievement uh, for us. And I was yeah, I was just, I was super happy. But then I like came off the court, drug tested get some food, go to the airport, fly home because we were doing Davis Cup. So it wasn't like there was time to like, you know, relax and, and enjoy it. And I think that's sometimes a problem in, in tennis because the season just keeps going and going and going. There's no break. Like you don't always have a chance to reflect on your your wins and just be in that moment enjoying it for, for what it is. Because like it is like it is amazing achievement. But you know, it's like the next day, the tournament start again and everyone starts in the first round. One of the things I try to do when we talk to the elite footballers and, and they join in this discussion, particularly the ones who are playing Champions League, European tournament, trying to win the league, whether it be Germany, England, Spain, it's, it's the relentlessness is there, but the, the, the burnout in terms of travel, in terms of no rest, no social time... Mm. The burnout in terms of probably too little family time, lack of sleep. Yeah, see, I, when, when footballers started going on about that, I don't... You just won't buy no, it No, I think it's absolute nonsense. Because I'm trying to yeah. let the listener buy into it now yeah, and yeah, I'm not, pull the carpet. I'm not having okay, that. Okay, make so, a yeah. case, make a case. Oh, because, I mean, I'm, I'm on the road 30 weeks a year. Yeah. So that's 30 weeks a year that I'm away from my family. Footballers, if they go to... Okay, they're playing Champions League which is how many group games? Six group games. Mm-hmm. So that's three, two nights that are away probably. Usually two, yeah. Yeah, so that's 12 nights that are away from their family. And I'm away for at least 210. Mm-hmm. Who um, hurt you, Jamie? Who, and, which, and there's <laughs> Champions League footballer? <laughs> no, 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 Champions no, League footballer. No, 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 but a lot, of, a lot of footballers say <laughs> come out of that, that stuff. And the travel aspect for me, that's... I'm not buying that at all. I, people won't understand, I think, that if, you know, jet lag, yeah. loneliness, boredom, yeah. you're in a special art because you're lucky at the moment you're York and Cole. Okay. But partners in football tend not to like each other. They got yeah. on the pitch, they do the thing, and they genuinely, actually, normally, can't stand each other. Yeah. Now, in, in your game, you have to go through a lot of partners because natural change will happen fallouts will happen, form will happen, injury will happen, whatever. But it's an extra burden to carry on the road if you're number one uh, doubles in the world because you have to get on, you have to be at the same level of form, yeah. you have to want the same things. I, I would say that aside from playing and, and, and winning and the mentality, 
there's a big burden you carry around to be at your level in tennis because of all those things. Yeah, I mean... Or it's a test. I mean, in terms of getting on with your partner, that's it's kind of key in a way because, you know, you spend all day with the, that with that guy because you're on the same schedule. So, you know, you're waking up at the same time, you're going to breakfast the same time, we're going to the courts at the same time, we're warming up together, we're in the gym together, then we're waiting around for a match together, then we're playing our match, which obviously, you know, a lot of stressful moments there, difficult moments, ups and downs, ebbs and flows of the match. And, you know, if you're at each other's necks, it's a lot harder to get through those um to get through the, to get through those matches and you know win basically, which is you know that's the goal at the end of the at the end of the day. Um, I mean, I would say in football it's it's easier because there's more players, so you know diluted. Um, and I mean, on on a football pitch is much bigger than a tennis court, so um, you know you can be far apart. And maybe you don't you're not stopping after each point to communicate with with your partner. I mean, if you know, if we're sent, if we're centre forwards, and you know, I take a shot and put the ball out of field into Rosette or whatever. You know, you might scream at me from twenty yards, but then we just run back to the. If you keep shouting at you, the halfway line. Yeah, exactly. And the way yeah. they speak, you probably won't be able to understand them yeah. anyway. Cause and I bet are... a lot of players that are on the opposite side from the field from the manager, they probably <laughs> not listen at all, and they're just like whatever. <laughs> yeah. That's right, Michael and Neil change sides whenever. <laughs> Let's say there had to be right, really important some sort of ATP. Five-a-side team. Okay. Football, right? Clearly you're in it. Absolutely, good, yeah. Good right Pulling pull the strings, yeah. Pull motion. Orchestrating. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe double Murray value, potentially? Andy? Yeah, yeah, got to be, yeah. I think he's playing He's playing up front, yeah. Reasonable footballer. Yeah, he's, yeah, Andy's good, yeah. He knows how to, like, shield the ball, you know? It's not, it's not easy to get it, to get it off him. Elbows? Uh, nah, but you like you know like good old fashioned centre forward. Like they'll use their their backside. Yeah. To, you know that Double sort of stuff. Style. Yeah, you know his stuff. See, listen, you you both seem to be in the five side team. Well, this um, wait, I'm just looking at. There's a new Italian coming through, Maldini. Yeah, he's playing today in a tournament. Yeah. <laughs> five thirty, incredible. What the hell? So you so you won. Um, Quite often tournaments do that. They have like a, a local tournament and the winner gets a wild card in, into the event and he won with his with his coach. So now he's playing challenger level, which is like one level below the main tour and he's playing tonight on centre court. Okay, yeah. so, so many questions. Like, would, you, would you pick a challenger tournament just, just to make sure that he got a doubles match uh, with, with Paolo Maldini just... For the I, feel, I mean, I, 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 wouldn't, I don't think I'd want to watch it, really. I'd feel, I'd feel bad for him. And they'd put him on centre court. Like, there'll be a ton of people come out to watch, I'm sure. It's in Milan as well. Like, it's his city, and he's going to get turned over. <laughs> Which is a shame. I, I hope, I, I honestly hope he doesn't. Um, and it's a, it's a great story, but I, 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 feel, I feel bad for him, yeah. Do you think there's any degree to which they've just slipped him an easy one because it's it's Paolo and he smells good and looks good and because <laughs> well, I, mean, that's, I mean if he was playing a, in a challenger tournament in Czechoslovakia or Poland, I'd say, well, he's probably had to work for that one. But yeah, yeah. it's Italy, you know, it's local. No, but I mean, one of my friends, he lives in Milan, and I and I text him when I saw the the news about it on social media, and I and I send it to him, and he sent me back a photo that he'd been playing with him that that morning. Um, and he was uh, he was like super excited about it. So I'm sure he'll be down there watching them. That's three of you in the five side team. You got two more slots. 
I mean, I, to pick my mates, I think uh, I'd pick Johnny Marry, who he won Wimbledon a few years ago. He just retired, but he's he's proper footballer. He's he's really good, and actually, probably my my coach Alan, who is like the fastest thirty eight year old in the world for sure. Um, he would uh, he'd get in the team. Yeah, she was might not be very good, but we'd be, we'd have a good time. Though. Listen, that's the main part. Yeah, though. definitely. Yeah. Jamie Murray, thank you very much indeed. No, thanks for having me. What a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for listening to The Big Interview. It's produced by me, which sounds egotistical, but it's also true. Graham Hunter and Backpage. Our music is by Beer Jacket, who else? Editing by Charlie McGarry. Thank you to our hosts at Acast and our loyal sponsors at Bet365. We're also supported by our socios. Find out how to become a socio, how to support us at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Here endeth the lesson. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.